Um, well, we're in the season of Lent, um, so I'm going to be sharing from our Lent series today. Yeah, Lent is this 40-day period that um, that is symbolic of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, and we do it in the lead up 40 days and prior to Easter Sunday, to Good Friday. I remember where it counts to, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Anyway, it counts somewhere around there, but in the lead up to that time. And I, I don't know, um, this is aside from the message I'm sharing today, but for me, Lent's always a season where there's quite a bit of upheaval in my life. Um, there's always a lot of change. There's always a lot of sickness, um, normally. Um, maybe it's a seasonal thing. But like, but that's always I've always found every Lent, I've got to wrestle with some pretty key questions about some pretty key things. And so I just want to name that if anyone else is kind of going through that, I'd like, love to pray with you guys. Like That's actually, a, I think, a really normal thing, that as we journey through the season where we it symbolizes Jesus walking through the wilderness, kind of in this real crucial stage of Jesus' ministry. Um, that when we symbolize and we walk through that and we, we fast or whatever we do in that, that there will be things that kind of change and shift and move within that period. Yeah. So, um, so just want to name that. If anyone else is feeling that, um, would love to find some time to pray with you and just yeah, hit me up on Messenger. So we're going through this um, the series on two Corinthians four seven verse to nine. So Jack spoke about this last week. So this is this verse. But we have these treasure, this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Yeah, and, and so what we've done is we've kind of split up these parts here. So um, hard-pressed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, and but not destroyed. And kind of distributed to the communities we're in. And so I think last week, Jack spoke on hard-pressed, but not crushed. I think that was the one. But this week, I've been kind of handed the hospital pass of persecuted but not abandoned. Good fun. Um, thank you, Scotty Reeve. Um, so, so I'll be speaking on that topic today, persecuted but not abandoned. And before I start on this, I just want to point out this really beautiful, beautiful imagery of this passage, this idea of the treasure in jars of clay. But we have in our hearts a treasure in jars of clay. And there's this idea that we carry around this hope that Jesus gives us, this treasure of the hope of Jesus and this restoration of Jesus in these jars of clay. So one writer writes that these vessels, these jars of clay, are vessels that are regarded as fragile, as expendable, because they were cheap and often unattractive. So the paradox that Paul is trying to express here is that although the container is relatively worthless, the contents are priceless. Although the containers are relatively worthless, the contents are priceless. And I think in this, there's some kind of something beautiful about what it means to follow Jesus encapsulated in this idea of treasures in jars of clay. Because our lives are, uh, the lives we are called to live as followers of Jesus isn't this kind of flashy, showy idea, but we are carrying something in us that is the hope and the treasure that is the hope we have in Jesus. Yeah, is that is that helpful? Yeah, for some, um, I just think it's a really made, beautiful imagery. Sorry, yeah. is the jar made out of clay? Yeah, it's yeah. not a jar of clay in it. Yeah, jar, oh, jars of oh. clay. <laughs> <laughs> that makes Jack's talk make more sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a clay with, I thought it was a jar of clay in it. Yeah, they're like, like a glass. Like a glass jar. It's made of. There's a glass inside the jar. Like a jar of glass of clay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah clay know. jar. It's not a jar of clay in it, it's a jar made of clay. Yeah, for all those other people who thought that. Yeah. Now that's good in some yeah. 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 Why does no one say that's good when I'm preaching? <laughs> 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 
Oh, okay, anyway, I'm talking about persecuted but not abandoned. Um, that's what I was talking about. Um, yeah, hospital pass. Um, yeah, what, I think one of the things, I saw that and I was like, I really don't want to get that one. Uh, but I got it anyway. Um, and, and the reason for that is, I mean, persecution is such a complex idea, and particularly in our day and age, and I mean, this old persecution's always been around, but I think that it is a complex thing. And to name that, yeah, there's so many different ways of persecution being acted out in the world we live in, in the broken world we live in. And for many people here of different kind of backgrounds and different identities, like that may be look really different to you in different spaces. And so it's really difficult to preach a generic sermon about something that's actually specific and needs the context that, of which it lives in. Sometimes um, ideas of persecution within church circles can be talked about as this idea of the persecuted church. I think, I think that's true for many, some places in the world, there is um, a really, there is the persecuted church. I mean, I, I think of Gaza, the persecuted church in Gaza at this moment, um, and other places around the world. Um, I, th I think often when I hear it in the West, it's, I, I kind of don't really relate to that idea of persecution of the church in the West. So like, I don't really want to talk about that either. We can have that discussion, but personally I don't um, really, yeah, I don't, I just want to be clear about what I'm talking about today when we talk about this. And then we also think about the context of when this passage is written. So written in this passage is a time of actually profound persecution of the, the early Christian church. And so Paul, yeah, Paul is at this stage, you know, put in prison like a thousand times by this stage. Um, and, and not long after this, if I get my timeline correct, is kind of the reign of Emperor Nero and um, the really, really heavy persecution of the Christians in Rome, thrown into lime pits, etc., etc. Some of you guys will know this. So, in naming all this and naming the complexity that is the kind of topic of persecution, I want to talk. I want to kind of broaden this idea of persecution slightly for um, to, to talk about suffering. Um, the suffering can be through the hands of persecution, but suffering can be wider than that. And so today, just kind of for wider applicability and for pastoral care of not talking about things that are specific uh, in a generalized sense, we're gonna talk about the idea of um, suffering and how we understand that in the light of this passage. Are we okay with that? Yeah. Sorry you didn't come for, if you came for that specific um, passage. Um, yeah, just wanna be honest with what I'm talking about. That's just helpful, I think. Um, now with that really long prelude, uh, my first point is kind of simple. My first point is that what we see in this passage that Paul writes is that there is no promise of, of um, relief from suffering. There's no promise of relief from suffering. In every single one of these um, things, hard-pressed hard but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, there's no promise that we will be relieved from that suffering. Instead, what we have said is we are persecuted but, or we suffer but we're not abandoned. Do I believe that, um, that Jesus and God can, can restore things that are broken? Yeah, absolutely. Do I, do I believe that part of the way we live out as followers of Jesus is to seek for liberation for the oppressed, to, seek for, um, to see how God moves as a God of justice? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, the promise actually isn't that we will each be relieved from our own suffering. That's, it's, a hard, it's, a hard, it's a pretty grim um, realization. But there's no promise in this life that as followers of Jesus that our pain and suffering will be relieved and taken away. And to believe that kind of individually we'll be relieved from this pain and suffering is actually just really fragile theology. It's really fragile theology. Because once you build your life on that fragile theology, 
that, that everything falls apart when that happens. And I find myself, and maybe it's because of the kind of Christian tradition I was raised up in, or the world that tells me different things, um, that I find myself falling into that trap over and over again. And so, yeah, um, I have this quote by J.I. Packer here, who's this theologian dude. Um, uh, but the Christian who has been told that the normal Christian life is unshadowed and trouble-free can only conclude, as experiences of inadequacy and imperfection pile in upon them, that they, they must have lapsed from the normal. Something's gone wrong, they will say. It isn't working anymore. And, and J.I. Packer talks about the idea of inadequacy and imperfection, and I just call that living in a broken world as broken humans, right? Like, it's the reality of what we face as humans who live in this world, that we will face brokenness and we will face suffering in that way. And it's important we get this right, right? Because, yeah, like, because if we build our theology on fragile, if we build our stuff on fragile theology, then it breaks around us when we realize that the world is broken. Sorry, I'm not being as eloquent as I normally am, but, um, so point one says, the grim point, that is, there's no promise from relief, there's no promise of relief from our suffering. Instead, what this passage promises us is that we will never be abandoned. We will never be abandoned. I've been sharing with my grandfather, he knows the end of his life, he's still alive, um, which is great. It's kind of awkward when you've gone back to say goodbye to him like two months ago, but you know, he's around and it's awesome um, for the family, although he is in a lot of pain. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because um, as I've been grieving granddad um, and, and nearing of his end of his life, I've been reflecting on his life and some of the images I have of his life as I kind of intentionally, I'm really bad at grief as an aside, like it's something I'm trying to work on really well in this season. Yeah, something I'm trying to work on, but um, part of that has been kind of reflecting on memories of my grandfather. And one of the key memories I have of my grandfather was um, when my grandmother was very ill. And so um, my, my grandmother, when, when we moved, just before we moved back to New Zealand, um, in Malaysia, that's where I'm from, she had suffered a really major stroke. So she was, um, actually, a lot of people could know me really well don't know this story. Um, she suffered a really major stroke, and she was rendered in a vegetative state. So she couldn't move, she couldn't, um, so basically the only way of communicating was she could blink, and that was basically it. And she was in that state for about two years um, before she passed. Um, it was pretty intense for the family, and it was just before we moved here as well. But the image I have of that whole time is a really like kind of quite imprinted image in my head of my grandfather sitting by her bedside every single morning, every single day for hours, every single day for hours, reading him, reading her the Bible, just reading her passages from the Bible over and over again, back to front, front to back. I, I, I don't know how many times he's read the Bible. It's, it's quite impressive to me. But for two years, my grandfather sat by her bedside and just read her that. You know, that, that was, that's, the, that's the image I have of a God who sits beside us when we suffer. A God who says, I will not abandon you. This is the image I'm taking back to when we are promised in the many passages in the Bible that God doesn't abandon us. Psalm 23. Um, Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. It's the promise that we are not abandoned in the deepest point of our suffering. And this can be deeply frustrating, right? <laughs> like, like a promise that I'm always here with you is kind of sometimes really frustrating in the midst of our suffering. Like that's just the thing uh, like we need to name or the suffering that we see around the world. Like, the promise that that is the case is actually deeply frustrating. Like, I, I totally acknowledge that, like, and I think a lot of us know that, right? Like, when we are in our deepest pain of suffering, like, we want people to kind of take us out of that. But actually, the, the God we serve, the God we serve is not a warrior God who comes and relieves us and rescues us of our suffering, 
We serve a God who came as flesh to suffer in this world as we do. That's actually the entire flip of what we, we believe. Like, that is the, I think, the crux of what we believe in and the most important part of what we believe. In, in Hebrews, it says that, um, actually, not the verse from Hebrews here, but the idea from Hebrews is that we serve a God who does not, who knows our suffering, who's not one who doesn't know our suffering, because God came as Jesus, as human, fully flesh, to experience the suffering of this world. And one who can sit with us in that and say, I understand that suffering to the fullness. This is the hope that Paul carries in jars of clay, um, implores us to carry, that in our suffering, that Christ sits beside us. Like my grandfather sat beside my grandmother and her time of greatest suffering. I guess his as well. So point one, there's no relief, no promise of relief from suffering. And point two, instead we are promised that we will never be abandoned. And finally, as most of you who have heard me speak before and will know that my third point is something about community. Someone has caught on to that, and that's my kind of trend. I'm kind of letting you into the, uh, the back room of my brain. Um, we remind each other of this promise. Because in our deepest moment of suffering, in our deepest moment of suffering, or even when we experience the suffering of others, which you know, is true, we are, we, we are called to this community this community of the church, not just this church, but the church at large, which remind each other of this promise, right? Which remind us of this promise that we are not abandoned, not just in our words, not just saying you're not abandoned, which is good, but also in our deeds, and how we sit alongside our neighbor, how we enter into that suffering of our neighbor, and how do we say, as Christ's body on earth, as the body of Christ on earth, what we're called to, to each other, is to embody that idea of non-abandonment that, um, that, Christ, that Christ shows us, that God promises us, that through, through the person sitting next to me, who is sitting with me through my suffering, I, rem I, rem I am reminded that I'm not abandoned by Christ. I'm not abandoned by God. So the impetus here is to remind ourselves of what it means to suffer together, or what it means to encourage each other in the suffering of each other. Paul, in the second part of this passage, which I don't have on here, says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So this is this idea that we carry the death of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus on the cross, to reveal life to others that are around us. This idea that we carry earthen jars, we can share in each other the, the hope of Jesus that we share each share with each other in solidarity. I'll finish with a quote from Henri Nouwen, um, my favorite author. If you haven't heard me quote from Henri Nouwen, you, you're new here. And his book, The Wounded Healer, which is an amazing book if you ever get the chance to read. Um, it's a really good time book I recommend. Um, he writes this, every Christian is constantly invited to overcome their neighbor's fear by entering in it with them. Every Christian is constantly invited to overcome their neighbor's fear by entering into it with them. And to find in the fellowship of suffering the way to freedom. So that's my um, three points today. What are my three points? Point one, that there's no promise of relief from our suffering. But good news, that instead we are promised that we are not abandoned. And part three, we participate in that together. That's me. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, um, 
yeah, we just remember that you came to into earth to suffer, um, to be our wounded healer, to be our Messiah who suffers on the cross, not one who just simply rides to glory. Um, and we just pray, Lord, for each person here, whatever is going, whatever's in their life, whatever, um, yeah, they're suffering um, and what this pain or persecution. Um, the Lord will remind each other, and that you will remind them of your um, your steadfastness. You remind each of us again and again that we are your beloved, and that you want good gifts for your children. So you sit beside us, and you remind us again of your love, and how and how we are held in.